Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, Tameralism. What is that? Uh, it's not about camels. It's not about camels. One hump, two hump, and why is the second hump not elected? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. So we're going to be talking about the houses of the legislative body. Mm-hmm. There are basically... The thing is, there's two different ways that generally this is done, but there are as many countries as there are ways that this is done mm-hmm. is, is the issue when talking about this <laughs> so let's talk about what a unicameral legislature is and a bicameral legislature what's the main difference so it's yeah you're, you've got a unitary a state governed as a single power there's like a central government uh that's there's no representation of say in the canadian system there is it's not unic it's not unicameral because there's a, a second house that represents the provinces uh, in unicameral there is only one body and it is directly elected repre- or indirectly or directly represent elected representatives uh, and a prime minister or president but no second house so the second house in canada would be called the senate yep and is generally called the senate the upper house is yeah. smaller generally than the lower house so in the three branches of power generally there's the executive which is the potentially prime minister and president Mm -hmm. the courts which is the supreme court Mm -hmm. that's the judicial body and then the legislative body and specifically the legislative body is either subdivided into only one house of representatives or a house of representatives house of commons chamber of deputies whatever you want to call that the body that generally makes legislature Mm -hmm. and then the second house which is often called the senate or the house of lords or the federal council something like that the upper chamber which is smaller and kind of says whether or not the stuff that the lower chamber if if it can go forward they they act kind of like a check it's like yes a process of of second review so in a unicameral system as soon as say all your mps voted and agreed a piece of legislation is what should be law then it is law but in a bicameral system uh if the the your mps vote on something it then goes up for review to the senate and they can say here are some revisions we would like in in it varies the level of power they have depending on the country but uh, usually they can do some sort of review. Sometimes they can stop it altogether. Mm-hmm. So if you already have the judicial body that can look at whether or not the law mm-hmm. is constitutional, say, and then you have the executive that can sign off on laws or potentially veto laws, depending on the, depending on the system, why have a second chamber rather than just have, say, the president review every bill and if they like it, then they act as that second check. Or why not just send every bill directly to the Supreme Court and have them review it and mm-hmm. say whether or not it's at least well, uh, yeah, constitutional? Why have why so have a like Senate a couple do that? of reasons. I certainly debated, but you don't want so it's a, you really want to spread power. Generally, is the logic behind it. You're trying not to vest too much power in any one body. So, and if you look at the Senate in Canada, what you have is so your MP represents like you. You're riding like a small region, but the Senate gets to look at things from the, pers- is in theory looking at things from the perspective of the province. So uh, additionally, so in a federal system, there are jurisdictions of lawmaking that the federal government trumps the provinces on. Like the provinces can't 
make laws based in that sphere because they don't have that power. But in order to make this acceptable, you send senators from the provinces to represent that their perspective on, on the legislation that the federal government is making. Um, in some cases, this also includes uh, issues of diversity. So it, there maybe there's a specific minority groups uh, that won't be equally represented, or maybe there's a rural-urban issue or uh, gender issues. Can They can kind of also be addressed in, in the makeup of your Senate. The countries use it for that. So... Yeah, in the formation of the two houses, generally yeah. the uh, lower chamber is always elected, but the upper chamber normally has a more, uh, I could say, interesting uh, way of formation. And why? Why is that? Why is like why is it appointed in Canada? And why is the House of Lords specifically in the UK? Like when you look at the makeup of the House of Lords. It's go to the Wikipedia page because it is it's amazing a mess, of yeah. like the number of different people who get seats and why there's like 1200 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, why, why, why is that? Well, I, it's a, it's definitely, it's a holdover um, for sure. Uh, I mean, so we're both country, the England, especially or the UK, especially a holdover from where monarchy system. Um, so it's, you know, when, when you had to let people start voting, you still wanted to have enough control, at least in the UK, of the legislation that went through, like the rich and the people who traditionally would have had power still would like to have some control over the laws. So that would be the reason that, you know, there is a certain amount of like inherited guarantee that this noble will get in there to get his say. Now, so similarly in in Canada, again, the it, it's it's basically the province idea. It's the idea that the provinces should get a say in the, leg- the legislation that the federal government gets to make, there needs to be a certain amount of representation with them. Our system is kind of based out of influence from the U.S., but like in the 18, like 70s, late 1800s, when it was created, it's sort of modeled off of a combination of that and then a combination of our U.K., you know, where the Commonwealth ancestry that we have. So you end up with the not exactly like nobles inheriting the Senate, but uh, sort of a combination of representing, sending two or three people to represent a province to provide provincial representation, but keeping that idea of like, oh, the people don't get to just vote for this person. Like it has to be someone selected. Hmm. Okay. So what are some of the pros then of the unicameral system? Because this sounds, we talked mostly about the bicameral Mm -hmm. system right now. And it seems like it's pretty good. It kind of dilutes the power of a few. It has some people who stay on for a really long time, who kind of make it so that rash decisions can't be made by these young <laughs> up-and-comers. Why would a country want a unicameral system? When we look at unicameral system, we see it primarily in much smaller countries in Canada. Countries that maybe aren't divided into... So I guess the best term to cover everybody is a subnational unit, but it's like if you have a territory, a state, provinces... Like these areas probably don't have that as much. So you're representing a much geographically smaller populace group. And like, I guess, yeah, the advantage is faster. It's certainly faster because you don't have to go through once, as soon as you voted, it's done. You kind of have like an accountability measure. It's very easy to be like for for the Canadian legislature to say like, 
oh, well, we didn't get this done because the Senate took a really long time on it. Whereas like now it's like, if you're not getting it done, you're the only ones who aren't getting it done. And just like there are fewer officials to have to know about and, tr and, and fewer bodies to have to try and understand would be some advantages. I think you can kind of see like, so this is a pro, but like you could also see how it could be a con in a lot of these situations. Having fewer officials to account for, again, like it really vests power in a specific group, but uh, in faster processing, it really depends. Do you, do you need so it kind of be super fast all the time is useful in just having fewer people to look after more or less so you can just streamline yeah the because i guess yeah, yeah if when you look at the countries that we've covered that are unicameral which are taiwan ukraine turkey uh portugal mm -hmm. iceland sweden um hungary most of these countries are pretty small uh slovenia they're quite geographically tiny yeah. and also uh, many of them like Sweden, Iceland have very small populations as well. So having a few hundred people in the House of Commons yeah. and then also a hundred or so people in the Senate, if you look at the like per capita lawmaker number, <laughs> would be pretty astronomical compared mm -hmm. to a country yeah. like Canada or the United States, yeah. especially where they have 550 or so uh, elected lawmakers total for you know 300 and 40-ish million people that live there yeah i think you're really you're yeah make it makes a really uh, unnecessary cost probably for a country like new zealand for example to have to have a senate because they really they don't have that many people they have to be trying to represent to begin with uh, and i think so we'll probably get into a bit more but uh, in in canada it's, it's such a vast country that like to just have to to have that extra representation in the Senate, if it's equally done, which you know we, we can talk a bit about, uh, you can really help to represent the needs of both the West, uh, so your BCs, which are very far from the needs of the East, which you know your Nova Scotia's, New Brunswick's, like it's just a very vast country to try and uh, represent all equally and make sure it's been been equally done. Because and if you think, like if the liberals get in, but the, it's possible. So in Canada, it's possible for a government to get in, maybe primarily only with Quebec and Ontario and the Maritimes as members of their uh, their elected officials. So they would be the governing party, and then a whole bunch of MPs from Alberta, uh, BC, uh, Manitoba might not even be in a position of power to necessarily ensure they make legislation. So this, yeah, this really plays in a lot with uh, the voting yeah. episode that we did. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go listen to that because the way that a country votes and how it assigns power and allots it geographically or whether or not that's necessary ties in pretty closely with the way that they set up their government mm -hmm. as a whole. So in Canada, one of the reasons why we talk about how we have how many people don't want just um, complete proportional representation is because half the country lives almost, you know, within a few hundred kilometers of mm -hmm. southern Ontario. And we require that kind of spreading out of power and doing and having a Senate also allows this to happen. Now, in Canada specifically, a lot of people for the last five or six years it's or so it seems at least that 
I've been paying attention, <laughs> and I'm sure much further back than that, people have been talking about this, uh, is Senate reform or especially Senate abolishment people talk about. Um, how would that how would that look in Canada? Because right now our Senate is pretty opaque. No, nobody really knows a, a lot of senators except for when they're in the news for a scandal. Um, they're appointed by a prime minister and then they're just there until they're 75. Yeah. So what would happen for with Senate reform in Canada and what would that actually mean and look like? Yeah, so it's hard to... S- say exactly what it would look like. I think because the similar to the problem we have with electoral reform, it's a constitutional matter. So in order to do it, we'd have to change the constitution. Uh, there, So the when Trudeau got elected, there was some idea that he would form like a council to inform who he picked. So he wouldn't just be like picking somebody to fill a seat because the, right now, yeah, the power is so strongly vested in the prime minister that if a prime minister is in power, for more than like 10 years or so, he can really fill out the Senate to be in his favor. So that means that uh, if he gets elect, if he doesn't get elected in the next election, the in some ways, the prime minister, whatever party represents, gets to continue to have a considerable say over legislation because those guys, the senators are in there for 70 until they're 75. Now, so I guess one way it could be reformed is capping the tenure of uh, senators in their positions to maybe 10 years is something I've heard before. So you want it to be a little longer to give them time to uh, the, the idea that they're there and they don't have to worry so much about constantly going up for re-election is, is considered to be a point of value to them. But you probably want there to be a limit on that um, so that one party doesn't get to hold power for an indefinite period of time in one chamber. Yeah, because it's a, it does seem like a very useful thing mm-hmm. to have these people who are there for a long time that kind of act as a steadying hand type of thing and potentially not even having them all be up for election at the same time. So kind of have rotating elections for however many seats every two years or every four years. So maybe have a third of the seats up every four years. So that it's like a 12 year total term, but there is some refreshment. Which is pretty similar to what the U S does. I think another thing is also the, the division of the seats uh, because that's kind of like it, when it was initially divided up, there were 72 seats and 24 for Ontario and Quebec each. And then like the rest of the seats went to the Maritimes. And then when they realized they had to include yeah. BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Newfoundland in the 1900s, like they only got arranged between two to six seats to fill out 104 uh, so you just really have an underrepresentation, yeah. a s- significant overrepresentation of the Maritimes. So to just put some numbers on that, in say the Maritimes, New Brunswick has about seventy-five thousand mm-hmm. people per senator yep. that they have, whereas British Columbia has actually ten times that. Has a population of three quarters of a million people per senator yep. that they have. Ontario has over half a million people per senator. Quebec. Uh, a third of a million people per senator down to uh, the territories who have 30 to 50,000 people per senator, Nova Scotia with only 90,000. So the way that the senators are really divvied up is is non-proportional, but potentially that's a useful thing because of how much power the the other countries who seem underrepresented mm-hmm. in the Senate seem to be potentially overrepresented or overrepresented or represented well some could say 
in the uh, lower Yeah, ranks. that's potentially true. I think it just it it undermines legitimacy a lot. I would say, uh, and 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 gives the the people who are against it a real good standing ground to say like it's it just like it's not even doing the basic thing that it's supposed to do, which is representing the provinces evenly. But it, I mean, it's also a big reason why it's still happening because you're not going to get like. So first of all, people don't really like the idea of adding more seats to the Senate because it seems, you know, oh, it's a useless body, but in order to make it more useful, we should probably add some seats so that it's equal, more equal representation, but there's a lot of, you know, resistance to that idea. Um, And then it also like, why, so it's a constitutional reform, but why would the Maritimes give up the only place where they are potentially overrepresented in, uh, in the legislature or in the, in the lawmaking process. Yeah, that's true. So some of the countries, if you want to look into other countries with bicameral uh, systems, the countries that we've covered so far include uh, Germany, Brazil, Australia, Switzerland, uh, Russia, the Czech Republic, Colombia, Kazakhstan, and some other countries that are definitely interesting to read about and have a lot on them and that's easy to find are the united kingdom the united states france netherlands uh so go check those out and see how kind of yeah they all do it a little differently it yeah it's under two pretty large umbrella terms but two systems that use bicameralism can be pretty much as different as a unicameral system is to a bicameral system almost I was looking to see, because uni and bicameralism are kind of terms that you hear a lot, but I had never heard of a tricameral or a multicameral mm-hmm. parliament. And so I did a quick Google search, and the only uh, country that I could find with a tricameral parliament was apartheid era South Africa between 84 and 94. So this probably won't be good. Yeah, so it didn't seem to be uh, an overly... Um, fair <laughs> uh, way of divvying up seats they had three three houses uh called the house of assembly for um whites uh, the house of representatives for as they said coloreds and a house of delegates as they said Ooh. indians um and the majority black population of south africa was still not represented in this tricameral parliament so more houses is not necessarily good more houses is not necessarily good but I thought it was an interesting, an interesting yeah. bit because I mean, as soon as you talk about bicameralism, my thoughts always: why not go one more? What what happens if you <laughs> if if it's better than one? Why not have three? Why not have yeah. four? Uh, and it seems like uh, the one time that it was tried didn't yeah, have a great bit, results. A bit racist, bit cumbersome. So on that, we'll end there. And if you have any questions, uh, make sure to email them to probablyaboutpolitics at gmail and if you want to find out more about the podcast, check us out on Twitter at ProbPolitics. We're also on Google Play Music under Probably About Politics. And find us soon on iTunes if we're not already there. Thanks for listening.